everybody. Thank you for listening to the world's most negative and controversial pinball podcast, Canada's Pinball Podcast. This is episode 245 of Canada's Pinball Podcast. I hope all of you out there had a great 4th of July. kind of sucked that it was on a Wednesday, right? It was like just broke up the week. I always feel like it's a nighttime holiday where you want to have the next day off. It's so silly that the world's most powerful country can't even celebrate in a way that is meaningful. It's like one day and done. Anyway, um, I did say the world's most negative pinball podcast because I did find it funny that there are so many new pinball podcasts popping up left and right. And what I find funny is when they articulate their reason for existing. Um, I love it because they like they can't even say the name of this podcast. They always say like, well, there's other pinball podcasts out there that are, you know, they're, they're, they tend to focus on the negativity and we want to make it about the fun stuff. And I'm, I'm referring to the new pinball podcast, which goes by the name of, um, what is it? Special When Lit Pinball Podcast. And they're pretty much taking the same approach we are where they're not tournament players. They're going to talk about the news and the hobby and collecting pinball machines. Um, the only reason I call them out by name is because I just wish they would have said my name. If you're going to say that the other pinball podcasts that are negative, just say Canada's Pinball Podcast. Um, I did find it funny too that in the Pinside thread, you know the one that's the definitive list of pinball podcasts, the one where they won't even say or list my name? Um, somebody went in there and wrote, Canada's back. And you know what they did, the Pinside moderators? They deleted that comment immediately so that nobody could even say that I was back on the air. But here's the good news. Uh, there's a uh, there, is, there is no fallout from my hiatus. I still have the same amount of listeners um, from my last episode than when I left. So this is great. I'm happy you guys are still enjoying the show. So on this episode of Canada's Pinball Podcast, I interviewed Jerry Stellenberg from P3 Multimorphic. Had a good talk with Jerry. I'll talk a little bit about that before we air the interview. Just a few pinball news items that I want to bring up. Uh, not, you know, look, there's not a lot going on in the summertime. You guys know it. I know it. We're not going to manufacture drama out of thin air, uh, but there are a few things that I've noticed have been going on in the pinball world, and we're going to talk about it. So number one, spooky pinball. Uh, spooky pinball uh, is having some owners who have a Rob Zombie machine, uh, there seems like they're complaining that the code is not done and their fear now of waiting two years for the code to be completed for Rob Zombie is that the attention and the focus will now be put on Alice Cooper's Nightmare Castle. And I was just reading up in the thread and uh, apparently there's been 23 software releases from 2016 to 2018 and there still are bugs in the game and I think one of the modes people are complaining about is there's supposed to be a mode where uh, the, re the flippers reverse that was promised to owners and that's not in the game yet. Uh, look, it's this isn't the first time we've seen a pinball machine be out there in the world with incomplete code after a couple of years. I think every single Lyman Sheets game that has been re released has gone through the same multi-year um, wait to get to final code. Uh, will Spooky and company address these issues? I would think so. I, I don't think Charlie, uh, I don't think any complaints fall on deaf ears with those guys. So I just think you have to be patient. And I think it is unfortunate that a new game is coming out. I also just, you know, let's be honest here. There is like nobody who care, nobody cares about Rob Zombie right now other than the 300 people who own a Rob Zombie pinball machine. I mean, the, the excitement and the attention around that game is 
dead, right? It, it's just not a great game. It's an okay game. I still think Spooky would consider it to be one of their sort of like, you know, uh, it, it falls like in the middle of their evolution to go from like completely like basic game like America's Most Haunted. I, I think they're they're learning as they go, but I, I still think Rob Zombie is just going to go down as one of the spooky games that, you know, it's just an early attempt. It, it's not going to go down as a great game that people want to own. It's not going to go up in value. Um, if you love Rob Zombie music, that's probably the only reason to own a Rob Zombie pinball machine because as a pinball experience, uh, it's not amazing. And, and and that's not saying anything against the game. I mean, it's, it's you know, these aren't super expensive games. Um so I'm also reading in the Iron Maiden thread, people are learn they want to figure out how to change the music in the Iron Maiden game. Now, some people want to change out Iron Maiden completely. Some people want to put other Iron Maiden songs into the game itself. Uh, we know that, what is it, Pinsound? There, there's, there's the... Um, there's the company that allows you to adjust the music in games or switch out the tracks. I'm sure that will become available for Iron Maiden. I'm always... I'm always curious as to how you can own a pinball machine based on a band if you don't like that band's music. I, I just couldn't do it. Personally, and I've tried, I've tried really, really hard to get into Iron Maiden music over the past six months. And I have to say, without a doubt, I think Iron Maiden, and this is just me personally, this is you you can like it all you want. I, I think it's some of the worst rock and roll music out there. Like I, I don't know if I had to pick between listening to like Guns N' Roses, Metallica, ACDC, Red Hot Chili Peppers, U2, um, you know, the Beatles, uh the doors. I, I just I think Iron Maiden music to me, it just sounds like a cat is dying. Like his voice, my God. It's just it's just not good. They like, run for the hills. It's just so oh, I can't I won't even get into it. Anyway, if but if you love Iron Maiden, God bless you. It's it's nothing personal. Like everyone has their own taste in music. I just never was into Iron Maiden music. Um but, you know, that being said, a lot of people are and I get why they've sold probably like 100 million albums, all right? And I've sold zero albums. So so take that for what it's worth. All right. Let's go on to Home Pin. So What's interesting in the home pin thread is, and this is just in pinball in general, there's always like that breaking point where people are tired of waiting for a game. And for those of you out there, I want to read something Mike said when he first announced home pin back in 2013, right? This is amazing when you actually go back and look at the amount of time that has elapsed um, in these companies when they uh between when they announce and when they promise games and when games actually ship so i want to read this is what mike said back in 2013. he says i opened the website for sales at about 9 30 this morning and i must say i have been overwhelmed with a positive response and the purchases made let me just stop there in 2013 before mike had made anything he was selling a product he was selling something to people. He was taking people's money when he didn't even know how to do it yet. So that's that's incredible. He then writes, "Thank you all for having the faith in my ability to deliver." Let's let's re let's repeat that line. Faith in my ability to deliver, which is ironic cuz he goes to then say what his delivery will be. He says, "I said the website would be updated on the 18th and I stuck to it." 
I also want to have a prototype at next year's PinFest, and I intend to do my very best to meet this time frame. A condition of my license is very strict in that I must meet a mid-2015 deadline because the licensor has a massive campaign for the 50th anniversary of Thunderbirds, and this pinball is part of that. Can we? Should we stop there and add in... Should we should we read that again? Let's read that last line and let me put in the Marty and a Ryan laugh track right after I read the line. Hold on a second. A condition of my license is very strict that I must meet a mid 2015 deadline because the licensor has a massive campaign for the 50th anniversary of Thunderbirds and this pinball is part of that. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. All right. So, like, look, the the, the thing is this. Th- this is just the reality of all new pinball companies that don't know what they're doing, that want to remake every single part, want to make games in China. Home pin has just been off the radar for most of you, right? I, I know that most of you don't even care about the Thunderbirds license to begin with. It's also funny to me because they were supposed to hit the 50th anniversary of... Uh, Thunderbirds. Wasn't there another company that was supposed to hit a very pivotal anniversary of a movie? Didn't that company go by highway and alien? I love how both companies completely failed to meet the anniversaries of the themes uh, that they were making pinball machines around. And then Mike just updated this yesterday. I want to read something. This is 2018 now. This is the latest. He writes, I mentioned a couple weeks ago about something delaying our cabinet production, but I didn't want to say much until we had resolved the issue. The Shenzhen government is chasing all factories out of the city as they want the city to become an IT hub. We were stopped from cutting any cabinet wood and painting was 100% out of the question. We leased an additional premises that is only three kilometers door to door from our original factory, but it is in a neighboring uh, Dan Gangwan where the, there's not so much restrictions on factories. In the end, we really needed more space anyway, so the second factory is now the home pin cabinet shop. We will cut and paint all cabinets in the new place and move them across to the original factory for fitting and finishing. Um, we have yet to move the CNC and other wood cutting machinery as we have plenty of parts to get on with the moment we'll move the other machine in a week or so. All right, let's just stop there for a minute. So Mike is in China where all of a sudden the government has now determined that he can't cut wood or paint wood in one of his factories. So he has to go into another neighborhood to do that. Can we just stop for a moment and say, Wow, sounds like building pinball machines in China was a great move. I mean, what a joke. What a joke. How do you read this stuff as buyers and say, you know what? I'm staying in on this. I feel good about this. It's just such a joke. These companies, I mean, I can't even with the the, the promises that we will definitely ship by 2015, that the fact that now like we have to start another factory to just do the cabinets in. You know, and another pinball company that kept having to get new factories was also Highway Pinball. You know, maybe Andrew Highway should join Mike and they should just together, together we can make the biggest 
laughing stock pinball company of all time. Like they should really combine forces. Like you could have Mike, he could go off on like all of his tirades and his, his, his like racist rants. And then you could have Andrew promising 600 games a month and you could combine efforts. Why don't they just make it the new pinball game from Highway and Home Pin? It is the new game you'd never want it. It's called Alien Pinball Meets Thunderbirds arriving sometime soon in 2039. I love it. Let's just make it happen. All right, whatever. Look, if you got no one is really in on Thunderbirds, let's be honest. Nobody. Only probably the diehard Aussies are in on this game. The fact that this game this game just looks so dated. I mean, the the orange DMDs, whatever. It's it's up to you. I'm not even going to go on about the game, but I just think it's funny that that's happening to that game. It's like karma is biting them in the butt right now. All right, let's see what else is going on in the world of pinball. So Jersey Jack Pinball and Pirates Production. So th this always happens too, is whenever there's a delay or you're waiting to hear when your game is going to go into production, uh, people get bored. You know, it, it's sort of like Pinside is sort of uh, like people who are waiting for something to open up. You know, when you're like waiting for a store to open and you're kind of just like walking around the mall for 15 minutes with your hands in your pocket, just wondering when they're going to lift the gate. That's what it feels like. And you know when like you're outside the store and it's supposed to open at like 10 o'clock and it's like 10.03 and you can see the employees in there, but the gate's still down and you're like looking in like, hey man, what's up? It's like three minutes past, like open this thing up. That's what's happening in the Jersey Jack pinball thread right now. The guys are walking around being like, hey man, it's July. You said this thing was going to be in production by now. Like, what's up? And the reality is nobody really knows. The last we heard is they're waiting for parts. Um, and look, I I've said it before. I excitement for this game is just waning. It 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 it's someone said this great word that it's just slogging along. Um, you know, the problem, the problem is uh, for Jack is this, and this is something that I also just thought a lot about on my break, but you guys have to admit that all pinball purchases are an impulse buy. And by that, I mean, you don't need it. You, it, it won't, it, it, it's unnecessary. It's a toy. It's an impulse. Like almost every toy we buy is an impulse buy. Like you don't need an expensive watch. It's usually impulsive. Normally, when you buy stuff that's an impulsive toy, you also want to, you know, make sure that it, it will have some resale value because you know you also will get bored of it. That's the other part of, of people who collect things is they also know the other side of the coin is boredom easily comes after the excitement of getting something and then they want the next thing to fill the boredom. So the thing is an impulse buy requires that you grab people's money when their impulses are the strongest. And do you remember when we saw this game for the first time at Expo? I think everybody remembers it. You could go back and listen to my podcast when we first saw Pirates of the Caribbean, how excited we all were. Remember, people were putting up uh, pinside threads. It's a dark day for Stern. Like Even I was like, it's over for Stern. Uh, and we all were so ready to own the Pirates of the Caribbean. How do you feel now? Be honest. How do you feel now? Like, I feel like people could care less about owning the game right now. There is like no excitement because we feel like we've seen it forever. It's, isn't it weird? Like, it almost feels like a game's already been out because you've been watching videos of it for nine months. And, and I think that's the problem. And also, from a marketing standpoint, the last month you want to try and sell your pinball machine in is August. 
I mean, August is a terrible month to sell someone an impulse buy unnecessary item. People are going on vacation. People are out and about more. They're traveling. They're spending money in other areas. It is the reason why you will never see a big launch of anything in August. Like the reason why movie, big movies don't come out in August, new products don't launch in August. It is a dead sales month. So it's unfortunate but when the distributors start calling up people to actually go in on these nine, ten, and twelve thousand dollar games in August or September, uh, I, I think people are going to wait. And and my whole thing is this: because we've waited a year now to get Pirates of the Caribbean, and we already know that Monsters is right around the corner, that Deadpool's right around the corner, that Beatles is right around the corner, that um, CGC's new game is right around the corner. And you know that unless you buy, unless you really, really, really want a collector's edition of Pirates of the Caribbean, tell me why you'd want to own this game now. Like, really, email me at canadapinball at gmail.com. Why would you want to buy Pirates of the Caribbean at launch? The code won't be complete. Um, a lot of new games are coming out that you might want to spend your money on. And I also think Jack is going to show... Willy Wonka, probably by TPF. So I would just wait. And the reason why I would just wait is unless you want the collector's edition, they're going to make Pirates of the Caribbean limited edition forever. Like you could buy it when it's done. And we also know if you watch the sales, the resale of Waz and of Hobbit, you'll be able to get a limited edition Pirates of the Caribbean game for a couple thousand dollars less than it is new if you just wait. And so, I don't know, part of me is just like, the smart man now just waits. He waits till the game is done and he plays it complete and knows he loves it. Um, the silly pinball collector, he runs after everything new, has to have it, buys it, then, you know, usually is left with like an incomplete game or, or, or you know, sometimes that you, you, you you get a game and you you love it. You know, you don't know. I mean, look, and for some of you guys, look, the guys out there who have six, seven figure balances, you know, in your accounts, maybe eight even, it doesn't matter to you. I get it. I get it. Some of you guys are, are taking home paychecks and taking, you know, every month you see checks for tens of thousands of dollars. Some of you maybe even like hundreds of thousands of dollars. It means nothing. All right. And those people, God bless you. I hope to get there one day. Right? I really do. Um, but, you know, I just think it's smart to wait. You know, I, I was laughing because I was reading um, Iceman keeps sort of throwing me out there. It's like this idiot guy who will just buy anything expensive. Like I'm going to go buy the big Lebowski for $21,000. Like, let me, let me just say for some, you know, look, I bought Magic Girl for $23,000. I sold it for 20. I feel lucky to get out at 20. When I bought Magic Girl, I thought it worked. Anyone now who buys a $21,000 big Lebowski game is is problematic. Anyone who buys an Alien LE right now, and more Alien than Lebowski, Alien Pinball Machine is a piece of shit. It will break. It's terrible. Every owner who has it is having nothing but tons of problems. So Ice, I'm happy you bought one. I think it's the dumbest game to buy. I don't, you know, I, I, I don't know. You, you always go in on everything. I, I don't know. Maybe play your games you own more and just learn to enjoy them. 
Uh, but part of me feels like some of these guys on pin side, it's like they they only it's like they almost need to create their own rationale for why they can they should be on that site every day hyper posting because they're always in the market for a new game and they always have to be acting within the hobby. And I just think it's stupid. I, I I mean, we all know that Ice has has enough games now to satiate his pinball itch, but we all know that it goes deeper and it's more about like clout on the fucking stupid site that these guys are chasing. But here's the thing. You're just chasing your tail, guys, because ultimately nobody out in the real world thinks it's cool that you're 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 some like known guy on a pinball forum like it, it's absolutely the most meaningless existence to have anyway but look i hope your alien ellie arrives in one piece because coming from australia uh, that game is going to be thrown around like a rag doll um so let's see what happens there anyway is there anything else going on in the pinball world um not really not really so let me air this interview with jerry um it was a good talk you know, I think that the climate in which Jerry is releasing his game is a difficult one. He knows that. We'll talk about that on this interview. Um, look, I think that P3 Multimorphic, definitely as people talk about pinball innovation, it's probably the biggest leap forward in, in envisioning what a pinball machine can be. Um, people have seen it for many, many years, you know, and, and I've said it before, like, it is hard to keep the hype going when you've been around for a really, really long time. Um, and ultimately, when you listen to Jerry talk about P3, you know, he doesn't see it as a pinball machine like a pirate. It's like it's a platform. Um, but, you know, the platform is only as good as the games that are on it. And so, you know, I would like to see newer games come onto the P3 platform that actually, like, show me everything it can do. You know, and, and if I were to give Jerry some advice, I you know, I think there's areas, too, that aren't even part of the tech that um, could be improved upon. You know, stuff like the artwork um, on the cabinets. You know, Stern has raised the bar on the artists they're using for their machines. And, you know, art is not as expensive as people think. And I think there's an ability to make, you know, every part of the, of the P3 Multimorphic cabinet, um, you know, look as good, if not better, than what else is on the market. Because that's, that's the thing. And that's the big hurdle um, for Jerry is when you're charging $10,000, regardless of it, of it, if it's a platform or if it's a game, um, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. And people are going to naturally cross shop you with what else is out there for $10,000. And so you have to stand back and say, visually, does my product look as good as these other products are asking $10,000? And can I improve it? And I think you can. And then, you know, all the artwork on, on Multimorphic is replaceable. It, it peels on and it gets put on, you know, peels off and on. So um, they can do that. Uh, I, what I do respect about Jerry, a few things, is this show is not always friendly about P3 Multimorphic. And and Jerry is, is a good guy and he, he hits me up and he wants to come on and talk about it. And we do that. And, and, and I respect the fact that Jerry, he took money from people, he took pre-orders, and he delivered a game to everybody who paid in full. Now, look, this podcast can get really strident and we can get really like, uh, you know, opinionated on titles. But ultimately, if you look at where I really go off the handle and what, what really irks me is simply people taking money for something and then not delivering the product. If people play P3 Multimorphic at shows and they want to buy one and they give Jerry their money and they get their game, what, what is there to complain about? If those people are happy with their game and Jerry delivered on what he promised, 
that is how the world should work. Okay. Yes, we can have discussions and talk about whether or not we like the games or not, but ultimately, everyone who buys a pinball game should get their pinball game. And this hobby has been inundated and infiltrated by many, many companies have, that have done the complete opposite. So I think you have to give Jerry credit for that, and he's building this thing slowly, and he's doing what Spooky did, which is the only way to launch your pinball company, which is you need to bite off as much as you can chew. So let me air the interview because we talk a lot about it. Um, everyone, I want to thank you all for coming back to the show. It is exciting to see that we still have as many listeners as we did before. Um, the other pinball podcasts that are out there, let me tell you guys something. Do your thing. Just do your thing. But if you want to call me out, call me out. It's cool. We're all adults. Um, there is infinite amount of room in the airwaves for a thousand pinball podcasts. You guys are you. Canada's Canada. We love what we do here. Um, you know, do what, do what you guys want to do. My only advice, I'm not going to give you Franchi chip, <laughs> Franchi chips, <laughs> Christopher Franchi's potato chips, um, Franchi tips. Um, it's just get right to it. Everyone always starts talking about their weekend and how they first fell in love with like an earth shaker game at the mall when they were a kid. Newsflash, nobody gives a shit. Get right to the pinball news and then right to your point of pinball because when you tune into a pinball podcast, you already are like the 0.0001% of people that are into pinball. So you don't have to give us background on anything. Just get right to it. Have a good day, everyone. Here's Jerry from P3. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome back to Canada's Pinball Podcast, Jerry Stellenberg of P3 Multimorphic. And Jerry, I want to apologize for the delay because we were supposed to do this like six weeks ago. But we're finally doing it. You're my first guest back after my hiatus. So welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Happy to be here. Always fun to chat. Yeah, yeah. And and you know, I'm really I'm really looking forward to this chat because it's been a while and I know that a lot has happened in your world um since we last spoke. Because I think we probably spoke, you know, geez, like maybe four or five months ago. So tell me just what's been going on in, in the P three multimorphic world um since we last spoke. Yeah, gosh, I think it was a lot longer than that. It was probably a year ago because we didn't chat months before TPF. Yeah, so let, let's take it back. Like I, you were at TPF, and I know that I think it was around 60 days ago, I, I saw the communication from Multimorphic about the pinball evolution, and you guys finally sort of reached that point where games were going out to consumers. So let's start there because I think people know the story. What did it feel like to finally have production games inbox going out to people i'm supposed to probably say it's super exciting and you know a culmination of tons of work and the reality is that shipping games to consumers is probably the scariest thing i've ever had to do in my business career because that's the point where it gets real and you, you've built this thing you've put your passion into it for years and you've spent all this time and money and gotten all these people to help you you've made promises to tons of people you've you've put this thing together this brand new thing that no one's ever seen before and if they get it and it doesn't work or it falls apart or they have issues with it then it's terrible right right <laughs> so so it's super exciting of course to, to to get the game out to ship these machines to fulfill promises to make our um, start making our place in this industry. But at the same time, it's super scary because you want it to work. And you dread every email you get from a customer. You're hoping it's, hey, I love this game, but it might be 
I love the game, but only when it works because three screws fell off yesterday. Right. And 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 in terms of the the sort of the amount of years you were putting into into P3, how many was it from beginning to game going in box? Was it like seven or eight, or am I just making that up? <laughs> You're totally making that up. We founded the company in 2012. Prior to that, we were basically just doing the P-Rock stuff as pinballcontrollers.com, uh, you know, shipping P-Rocks. Right, so to it's P- six. I wasn't that far off. Okay, so... It's it's six that we founded the company. We announced Lexi Lightspeed in the P3 and started taking pre-orders in TPF 2013. And we shipped a game in September or no... It was September or October of 2016. So it took about three and a half years to ship a game. Okay, so game number one went to customer in 2016? I'm sorry, no, that was 2017. Okay. So four and a half years. It was, yeah, basically seven, eight, nine months ago. And 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 I think we've always said it, you know, Jerry, like you, you sor- sort of, you took a few pre-orders, but you weren't like selling people these games for full price, like a lot of the other boutiques that popped up, you know, over the years. So remind us again, like how it worked in terms of getting your name on the list or pre-ordering one of these machines. Okay, no, we did actually take fully paid pre-orders, at least for a little while. So our deal, going back to the beginning, was that we were building this, you know, this revolutionary new concept, this platform machine with modularity and ball tracking and super cool features. Uh, We wanted, we hoped that we would convince some big investors to help us out and fund the company and, you know, give us the ability to to live out these dreams, making making this, you know, a, a full-time job and things we could we could sustain our, our lives and our families and things with. Um, so what we did early on after we announced the project was that uh, we brought Dennis Nordman on board to design Lexi Lightspeed, and then we started pre-ordering. And we got, we got a good number of people to do fully paid pre-orders way back when, but our goal wasn't to take that money and spend it. Because right. to me that, that's to me that's unethical. It's it's not my money to spend. It's money that customers have spent on machines. My goal was to take that money and leverage it to investors and say, hey, listen, we've got X number of people that have paid in full for this machine. So the risk of investing in us is a lot lower than it could be if we didn't have any you know uh, any customers. Right. It didn't work out that way. We never really actually convinced any big name investors. We've kind of had to bootstrap this and work for free and do all the things that a startup has to do to survive. Right. We've done that on our own. But early in the beginning, we took fully paid pre-orders. But I was just actually thinking about this a couple of days ago. The P3 pre-orders, the guys who paid in full, in this land, this pinball land of fully paid pre-orders and, and the drama that it's been over the years, the P3 pre-orders, they hit the jackpot because we offered, we offered a lot of incentives to get them on board. We offered early on, so all of our early paid, fully paid pre-orders, they've spent $9,000 to get a P3. The P3 came with the five-game package we've talked about before, Lexi Lightspeed, Secret Agent Showdown, Escape from Earth, Cannon Lagoon, Rocks and Barnyard. They got a promise for Cosmic Kart Racing when it ships. And the kicker is that they got $50 of credit to our store for every month after they pre-ordered until we started buying parts for their game. So a lot of them got essentially three and a half or four years of $50 coupons every month. What, do you ever regret <laughs> giving that uh, well, like, yes that incentive? No, but, but kind of, but not really, because the way it's structured is they get a discount. They get a fifty percent discount right, so it's going for a hundred dollars worth of worth of uh, you know worth of merchandise. So essentially, 
to take advantage of their discount, they have to spend money with us. So it's kind of a wash at that point. It's it's money we're not going to make from those people, but uh, but we're happy that they signed up early, and we're happy to to you know to get them more products and more games and more things, and not make a lot of money on them. We we hope to grow the business and you know bring on a lot more customers to to help us fund the future. Yeah, and Jerry, I definitely want to talk about you know the game and and the feedback you've been getting from the early adopters. But you brought up something interesting about the pre-order model and taking money because I think everyone has witnessed over the last couple of years, even the last year, the stories of Dutch of Highway Pinball of you know John Papadou paying himself a salary. What was it like when you were trying to get investors and? How, walk me through the process of how do you you know continue to go to shows, continue to develop the platform, travel. You've got employees. You know a lot. You know a lot of the. I'm sure people are volunteering time. You know because they believe in the vision and in the dream. But what, how hard was it? If you could, if you know, if you could go back, would you would you do it the same way, or is there anything like you've learned now that you're like, oh my god, I can't believe we did it that way. Yeah, the whole the whole hindsight is twenty twenty and regret thing. I, I live by a philosophy that we make the best decisions we can at the time. We have all the information we need at the time to make a decision, and it's the right decision then. So looking backwards and saying, I don't know what I've done it again, it, it doesn't matter because at the time it was the right thing to do. Right. Um, it was a struggle in the sense that all startups, bootstrap startups, are a struggle. We. we I didn't do it totally on my own. I had some help from friends and family. And then, of course, uh, we kind of built the company on the backs of the community and people that were excited about our vision and are excited about the product. Most of our software developers are people who helped us with art, people who helped us with game design. They were people who believed in the in the product. David Thiel signed on early because he loved the the. the potential of the platform he wanted to be involved we had dennis norvin in early working on early game designs we had a lot of people volunteering we still have people volunteering i still haven't made a a salary in five six years because we're not to the point yet where we're selling you know a thousand games a year and can afford to to take that profit and feed it back into the company and pay people but um the process for startups is I'm sure it's different for everyone. A lot of people can build a startup because they know a friend with a lot of money or somebody's done really well at a previous business and can afford to bootstrap a company for whatever it takes, a million dollars, two million dollars, which is what these things really need. Um, We had a little bit of help from friends and family. They got us started, but it's been a struggle the whole way through. We would not have survived without people working for free. And when I say free, I don't mean no incentives. These are people that agreed to share the risk in order to share the reward if we ever can afford to pay a reward. So and that's what's through it, stock options and things like that. Right. What, so has, has it been, when you say friends and family, what's it been like at the Stellenberg Thanksgiving table? Have people been like, Jerry, come on, like when are we going to see some return on this? Or, or has everyone been still, you know, still very supportive knowing that you know, it took years to, to finally get games out and get money coming in the door? Well... Obviously, everyone wants to see a return on their money, and they're afraid if they don't have their, you know, their foot in the development cycle. They don't if they're not day to day active in the company. They don't really know what's going on. But I've always been pretty good about being honest. It's it's who I am. It's what I do. I'm I'm an engineer. I like to tell it how it is. And and if things are going great, I'll tell them it's going great. If things are going poorly, I'll explain why and what we're trying to do about it. But uh, right. every year we showed 
progress. Every year we took new machines or new prototypes or started showing off new games. So yeah, I'm sure my aunt and uncle who were the the first investors in the company, they, <laughs> they've been a little bit scared probably, but the same deal started at the beginning. I, I was honest at the beginning. I'm like, I'm not taking anyone's money who can't afford to put money into it. Just assume that this money's gone. And right. if we can pay back a, a nice return at the end of the day, then we're all super happy. But if you can't afford to put money into this company, if it's going to hurt you at the end of the day, then I won't accept it. I won't take it. Right. So is everyone who prepaid in full, have, have, have they all got a p3 yet or is there still a list are they still in the second wave or third wave of games being built um where, where are you guys at in terms of fulfilling those orders we uh geez it's been three or four months since we filled the last paid pre-order and now we are oh so what happened was or in the early days we took paid pre-orders about a year ago a year ago tpf so it was march which is a year and a few months uh, 2017 we stopped taking well, we stopped taking pre-orders a long time before that. But in March of 2017, we put out a deal that says um, we're now taking partially paid pre-orders, right? You can put in a reservation for a game, and you can you can decide if you want to buy a Lexi Lightspeed and get the five-game package, or you can decide to just get Lexi as the only game and wait for CCR. That was our incentive. And we have a bunch of people sign up for that. We're literally one week away from finishing the last order from that. So one week from now, by the end of next week, we'll have fully shipped every pre-ordered P3. Which, in this hobby, you need to take a bow for that because there, well, we've seen what's been going on with some other companies. There are a lot of people out there who paid for games they will never get. So it's good to hear that everyone who's paid is going to have uh, the game arrive and, and, and in their home very, very soon. So, Jerry, I'm curious, and you talked a little bit about it earlier on, how anxious and nervous is it to put that first game in the box? Like, what kind of quality testing are you doing on these early games? You know, we've heard stories from American Pinball where Joe Balser's playing every game 40 times. Like, what, what was it like? going through the, the quality control that before you felt comfortable letting these things out of your sight. Yeah, and, and it's still a process. But we started out, our first game we sold to a friend. He was a guy in Austin who's you know been a supporter of us. He'd come to my house every time we had a pinball party, even before we started the company. He was, he was a good friend of, of mine and became a good friend of the company. So we had a chance, essentially, to ship our first game under the conditions that if it's too early and if there are things that are broken, he's right down the street and we drive there and fix it. And we had one or two issues that we had to deal with for him and we did that. But it's more of a it's more of a you know, a tense situation when you put a new inbox and when you put a machine in a box and ship it across the country or across the world to someone who you know you can't literally drive out to their house to help. Right. Um, some of our first games went to Europe, went to Australia, went to New Zealand. A couple went to Canada, and that's nerve-wracking every time. But what's really strange, and I don't know if this is just luck of the draw or what, or some kind of a, well, I don't know, but every machine we've shipped overseas has arrived in completely perfect open-the-box-and-play condition. We've had issues we've had to work through with some domestic people. Uh, I'd say about 50% of the games we've shipped so far in total 50% have worked perfectly, nothing wrong out of the box. Maybe 30 or 40% had minor issues, loose screws, loose cables, 
little right. things like that. And 5 or 10% just took super rough, heavy shipping and had some pretty major problems that we had to deal with. But, um, you know, it's a process. We Every time a customer calls with an issue, whether it's a loose screw or something more significant, we we figure out what it is. We help them. We're on the phone with them as often as they need to to get it fixed. We send them technical documents to show them how to do it. We make videos to show them how we would do it. We have machines in the shop that we literally, you know, we recreate the issue or we we put a part in a, in a machine in the shop incorrectly so we can show them what their machine looks like and then we can work through the fix. And then we feed that back into manufacturing. And, you know, we're, we're never going to be perfect and we're always going to have real people working on these things so they're always going to make mistakes. But right. um, our QA checklist now is is super long and that's also a bad thing because <laughs> if you're checking 100 things at the end of the day, then there's 100 things that you need to improve your 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 assembly on but it's 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 a huge process i mean you know how many parts are in these machines and you know how many opportunities there are for mistakes if if you take a thousand parts and you screw up any one of them the customer's going to have an issue so right. you can do 990 things correctly and 10 things wrong and the customer is going to hate it because right. it's not going to work right so well and pinball it's, it's is tough yeah and when i always tell people about pinball the unique thing about it is if just one switch fails you don't want to play <laughs> so yeah. you've, you've got thousands of parts and one thing goes down and then your fun factor goes to zero. So it's, it's, it's For difficult. Sure. Well, there's, there's no such thing as perfect pinball. And I think, you know, from the community standpoint, as people just want to feel like there's someone on the other end of the phone that will help them out. And I've been following the thread and, and, and you've been in there and helping people out. And, and, and I think, you know, right now it's, it's a small owner base that is all sort of helping each other, sort of talking about certain things and and it seems like everyone is getting uh the help they need so are there any any major changes that you've experienced from the early adopters jerry or is, is or is it just sort of small tweaks here and there that you're sort of implementing on games going forward yeah definitely no major changes but we yeah we have had 20 or 30 tweaks to things we've made things go together easier for the assembly process and we've always tried also tried to address things that um customers it's too hard for a customer to tweak something or, or it's too hard for a customer to adjust the way something works. So we've changed some things. So we're looking into some more major changes. For example, uh, one big example is that our wall scoop assembly is this, you know, the super cool feature of the machine that allows us to do a lot of cool things, but we have to individually level um, 12 raising features just like you would level a a drop target on a traditional game there's usually a set screw or something or a you know a leveling screw that you tweak until you get the thing at the right height we've got 12 things six wall targets and six scoops behind them that have to be level with each other they have to be level with the playfield in front of it and they have to be level with the module or playfield behind them and tweaking those things is a super pain in the butt uh, it takes us way too much time in manufacturing. And then if the screws or the, the nuts that hold the screws in place aren't tight, then during shipping, they'll readjust and they'll get to a customer's place and, and they'll be out of level again. So we have assembly instructions and we have technical documents to instruct people how to tweak those levels. But it would be super great in the future is if we switched from coils to something like a servo and then we can run through a software algorithm to calibrate those and to get them level and all that stuff. Um, so there's ways of improving things moving forward. But the reality is we're still busting our butts in manufacturing, getting machines out to customers. And 
we're a small team. We have two mechanical guys full-time and one mechanical guy who helps us part-time. We have just a couple of software guys. We have just a couple of um, audio and video guys. And if the mechanical team is in manufacturing, fixing issues or helping manufacturing get going or working on process, then they're not developing these new and improved assemblies. So it's an interesting, you know, trade-off. We would love to have a million dollars that we can, you know, pull out of the bank and pay people and hire people and, and build a big team and grow fast. But um, that's not the way we're doing the business. We're, we're growing slowly. We're going organically. We're bringing in money from hopefully more and more sales so we can, we can grow. Right. So, uh, Jerry, on a, on, a, on a weekly basis, so right now, is manufacturing happening on a daily basis or is it, are you guys doing it in batches as orders come in and, and you order you know, parts for a certain number of batch of games to go out? So both of those things. We, we, we are working with a contract manufacturer to build the machines for us. And what that really means today is that we're paying to sit in somebody else's building and help their people make our games. Right. Um, in the long term, we want to just be able to send the contract manufacturer an order for whatever it is, 20 or 30 or 50 games a month, and say, hey, we got orders, or we want to inventory these machines, build them, and, and, and let's move forward. But the reality is today, the machines don't get built properly, and they don't, they don't work at the end of the day unless we're sitting there helping the people fix problems, helping the f- people fix parts, testing the parts, finding whatever deficiencies are in the assembly instructions or the testing process. So... Um, we we I don't know if you know Les Pitt. He's been working with me for years. He's the the tall guy that that goes to all the shows with us, and he's literally living not living not literally living, but he's in the at the manufacturing site five days a week, the t- ten or twelve hours a day working with the assemblers. TJ, our manufacturer, our mechanical engineer, is sitting there in the manufacturing site three days a week, going over whatever issues they have so he can tweak the part designs or tweak the testing procedures or, or do whatever. And I'm there three days a week as well, three and a half days a week, working out the logistics of shipping machines, working with the freight companies, dealing with the management of all these people and making sure everyone's working well together and figuring out how to slice up their time between the projects that they have to do. We have parts that come in from our suppliers, and I would say 30% of those parts aren't right. So we either throw them away or get the vendor to spend three months making new ones or we fix them and make them work. So a lot of the stuff that Les does every day is fixing parts, whether it's making holes bigger or making the bends 90 degrees instead of 87 degrees or whatever it is. It's a, it's a crazy thing. There's tons and tons of work to do every day. Right. And, and I, I mean, I've heard this story, not just from you, Jerry, but from other people I know in, in the industry that manufacturing pinball is a nightmare to get it all right and to get everything going um, which is why when a machine actually is playable in your home it is a small miracle it is a small <laughs> miracle that it arrives and everything is working um, let me ask you a question because I was on Multimorphic tonight and I was reading the site and I was following the page I scrolled down and I I bought into the whole evolution and it said buy now and I clicked and it said out of stock. <laughs> so I couldn't even buy it. So yeah. what, talk to me about someone who is in the market for one today. They see the out of stock. Where, where are they on a, like how far down a list are they? If I were to order today, when do you think I would get a game? Order game today. It'll ship in four or five weeks. 
So like I said, we're one week away from finishing our last, uh, what I call paid pre-order, which is the orders we took about a year ago for the people who got the promotion to buy early. Um, now there are, in the last few months, we've gotten a bunch of orders from TPF, people who just put deposits down, basically people who clicked on that link and said they want to put a $1,000 deposit down and get a game. So we have two to three weeks worth of those customers to fill orders from. And then after that, we're building to ship immediately. Um, and we're hoping to you know, build up a whole bunch of games and ship them to distributors and also fill orders immediately on the website. So order today, you'll get a machine in four or five weeks. Great. And are there any uh, main distributors, Jerry, that you want to call out on the show that, that people should be aware of? So we've been talking to tons of them. Um, we work with Rob Anthony. We, he's been you know driving around the country, going to shows, showing the machine off for us. But I've held off on all the conversation with distributors because they all want machines. And we haven't had them to sell. We've been back ordered for a long time, obviously, now. So when we get two or three weeks farther... That's when I call distributors and say, hey, listen, let's work it out. We, how, much, how much allocation do you want? We're going to build X number of games this month, and we'll have some to send to you. But until we can do that, it doesn't make any sense. Right. I can work on relationships, and I can tell someone that they'll be, they'll be the go-to distributor, and we'll get all the machines to them or whatever. But until we have machines, none of it matters. That said, I get literally three emails a week from distributors saying, hey, we want to work together. Right. And I'm, and I'm like, we're, we're almost there. We're almost there. I'll talk to you in three weeks. Right. Well, and, and that's smart because, you know, I think we've seen sometimes with new companies, distributors, uh, I'm just going to say it. I saw this, I think, a lot with American Pinball is they, were, they had so many distributors selling Houdini's, but they just didn't have manufacturing really ready to go to, to have that many orders coming in because then you just have a lot of people who get upset that, they, you know, they bought it. They, they ostensibly feel like they bought a game early and they expect it soon, but... If you spread your allocation too far and wide without enough manufacturing to supply that allocation, you know, it, it, no one's satisfied, right? People just have to wait a really long time. So I think you've controlled expectations by not going out like that. Well, part of it's that, but there's more to it because the P3 is this machine that some people still aren't sure what it is or why they'd want it or, or how it's going to be different or or maybe it's too different. I mean, I, I've seen... So we sent a machine up to Jack Danger a few weeks ago, and he streamed it for us. We recently sent a machine to Buffalo Pinball to stream it for us. And every time I get on these streams and watch people play it, the same thing happened at the Buffalo Billiards. They did the Bat City Open last weekend, and they were streaming it. And there's probably 50% of the people on the streams are like, what is that? I've never seen that before. That looks really neat. And I, you know, you know so we still have a huge potential market, but all these people that are buying machines today for shipments tomorrow of whatever they are, Houdini's from American Pinball or um, Alice Cooper's from Spooky. They're people who are used to traditional pinball and they know exactly what they're getting or they think they know exactly what they're getting. And they're not so um, willing to pre-order to buy this concept that we've been pitching. They're waiting to see machine shipping and to see games for it. So part of it's because we want to manage growth and we don't want to, you know, sign up a lot of people to buy it until we have machines to ship. But it's the flip side too. People people need to see this game. This is a game where people walk up to it at a show and they're like, oh, this isn't nearly as bad as I thought it would be. Right. Well, and, and at the price point, at, at $10,000, when you look at the 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 rest of the hobby i mean at that price point you, you know that is like the 
LE collector's edition price point where people usually will only spend that much when they're emotionally pulled into some theme that they just have to have, right? That'll be like nailed to the floor and they're willing to splurge. The P3 is a platform. It's not trying to sell you one game. It's trying to sell you a platform that can play multiple games for years so you don't have to keep buying, you know, another box, another box, another box. Um, And that's just a, there's a level of education. And and to your point, there's a, a lack of awareness of, of, how that might work into what they're used to within pinball. Now, let me ask you a question, Jerry, because I'm curious about this because you've also, you also invented P-Rock, correct? Yes. And P-Rock is the engine that has actually pretty much opened up the boutique pinball world. So I, 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 I want to let you know that I get a lot of emails from people when I do give you, I think sometimes I, I give you some shit on my show, right? I get emails from people being like, you do realize that like P-Rock is the reason why we have X, Y, and Z, and, and, and they're <laughs> right. So I want to I let you know that you should be very proud of, of the engine you built. Um, so when you see a game like Total Nuclear Annihilation running on your engine, uh, Scott Denisi's game, very, you know, he took a much more simple approach and unique approach to pinball, and it's been a phenomenal success for Spooky. I think now there are over 300 games have been ordered and I, I think are out the door almost. Um, do you ever, like, a couple questions. Like, how do you feel seeing your engine sort of drive so many games people are excited by? Uh, and also, do you ever ask yourself, why didn't I just go that simple route? Uh, and sell 300, 400 games and get some revenue in the door and then maybe, you know, take more of the innovative leap? Yeah, two different, very different questions there. So obviously anyone who creates something new, um, they, well, they, they have their own motivations for doing so. I personally like creating new ways of using technology to do cool things. And originally, actually, I created the P-Rock because I had this vision for a P3 and I needed a controller for it. But along the way... Uh, we started pitching it to the community and seeing what people wanted to do with it, and it kind of grew organically into this controller that people could use for custom games. I spend probably 30 or 40% of my day every day, even when I'm at the manufacturing plant, I'm, at, I'm sitting there online talking to developers of projects using our boards. I talk to, we have a Slack channel where developers hang out and we talk them through design questions. We talk them through problems they're having. We talk them through the software configurations or the software tools. Um, I still love that. I love helping people take their passion, take their ideas and implement them in, in, into games. I mean, people like Scott Denisi and Josh Kugler and Michael Ocean and, you know, Jippy Lippum, people who are, are becoming very high profile in this industry for pinball software development and pinball game design. These are people who we all kind of grew this community together. They bought P-Rocks way back when for personal projects and and they are the names of this industry now. Right. And and it's super exciting. I mean it's we're we're all super proud of each other. It's neat that we've all kind of created this community. Even more so, we've created these software and hardware tools. The P-Rock and the frameworks that that were developed around the P-Rock are what these companies are using to get their products out. And we've got active developers. Michael Ocean's still on there every day solving problems, framework problems, or adding new features to the framework to help people like Spooky and people like American Pinball get their machines out the door. So, I mean, it's a community feel. It's fun to be a part of that. It's obviously fun to create the project that has 
uh, I don't know, uh, it spurred on a lot of this boutique development. It's, it's been the, the foundational piece for a lot of these people to start their businesses. Um, right. Sorry, now that I talked so much, I forget the other part of the question. Well, I just, you know, is, I guess the point to, you know, the thing I was asking is, you know, you've, you've blood, sweat, and tears for years, you know, innovating and making, you know, a, a completely new platform on how to envision pinball. And you put your P3 next to TNA with no ramps and, you know, cool sound system, cool yeah. lighting. Are you ever just like, oh, come on, you know, like I did all this work and, you know, these guys are selling this thing left and right. And it's, it's like going in the other direction. It's simplifying pinball where, yep. you know, you're innovating and, you know, clearly there's a market for TNA as, as the sales have shown. Have you, have you ever, did you ever just kind of be like, oh man, maybe we should have just like gotten a little simpler first and then taken more of the, the leap to where we're at? So in retrospect, like I said before, I don't I don't like to play that game. But the answer is totally no. Um, I had these discussions six years ago. We had people that are like, "Dude, what are you doing? Why don't you just make a game, get a game out the door, fund your company through the development of a game?" And you know, this whole process leading up to me starting a company, I used to sit there and talk to people and come up with ideas. I've always been this guy with ideas. I want to do something, and I kept trying to find the idea that I wanted to do. And there's there's a whole backstory here that I, I started a company to do something else and it kind of that kind of drifted away and and while I was doing that I got more into pinball but I've always been somebody who gets these ideas or talks to people about ideas and I don't care about the idea unless it's something that I feel something for it's got to drive me it's got to be something that I'm passionate about and building another pinball machine with a different theme or a you know a different layout or whatever and selling it as a one-off game just never interested me I had right. zero interest people still I mean I heard you say it on a podcast a few months ago or a couple months ago and I was like no I don't I don't I don't have that regret at all. I don't want to do that. It's not what I want to do. I want to create something new and cool and exciting. I want to give people the ability to enjoy a pinball in a different way. I want to give people different value for their money. I want to give developers this platform that they can develop cool games on. I don't care that it's been a struggle because I love what I'm doing and I love what we're creating. And the people who get our vision, the people who come to us at a show and they see this platform machine for the first time and they stay in our booth for four hours watching people play and thinking about all the cool ideas they can do with it, those people justify all of it for me because it's super awesome to create this thing from scratch, designing something from the ground up that enables so much more than existing products. Right. So yeah, I mean, it'd be nice to have a lot more money and to sell a game and, and, and to have 300 machines sold under our belt and shipped and, and be able to sustain the business. Um, the flip side is, we're leveraging that anyway because we're selling P-Rocks to Spooky and to American Pinball and hopefully to uh, Circus Maximus for Kingpin. And, of course, we sold them to Dutch Pinball for the Big Lebowski. We're making money on the sales of boards to companies building machines, so we're still able to help fund our business that way. But ultimately, the answer is no. I want to do the P3. I want to create this machine. I have no interest in another in another single-themed game. What? Jerry and, and and I and I totally respect that. Um, walk me through P Rock and how it works with other manufacturers. So, is there a licensing fee for them to use the software, or or are they just is it is the cost the purchasing of of the boards? How does it work? If if I'm a company and I want to use your 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 system, so the the P Rock itself 
And most companies, so the original PROC board is a board that was backwards compatible with WC and Stern, WPC and Stern machines. Um, people use that for re-themes and stuff. Most of the new companies designing new machines are using what we call the P3 Rock, which is a next generation version of the PROC, which coincidentally it's named because we're using it in the p3 so it's the p3 rock it's a set of driver boards it's a set of switch boards it's a set of led boards and altogether, it's a hardware system um, there's some firmware running on the boards that handle a lot of the low-level circuitry and logic that control switch matrices or well, actually there aren't switch matrices that we use direct switches but there are uh um, coil controls where you can issue a command to pulse a coil and the hardware does all the timing for that and you know lamp schedules and and LED fades and all that stuff. The hardware system is something people buy. It's a product. You go to our website, you say, I want to buy one or I want to buy a thousand of them. Uh, or you talk to me directly and we work out a deal and we ship you a, a bunch of boards for your machine. The software frameworks, uh, I was a part, we had a couple other people that were a part of developing the software frameworks, but we developed those as open source um, community projects. So we don't own the software framework. Something like PyProc Game, which is the original Python framework people used to develop games using the PROC, um, has been, a uh, software term is called forked. People have copied it and then extended the functionality of it. Michael Ocean developed um, with some help from uh, Josh Kugler. They developed an extension of PyProc game. They call it Skeleton Game. It can now do HD graphics and a lot of additional functionality to help people get started. But those software frameworks are open source, um, free to download, free to use. Another one is the Mission Pinball Framework that was developed um, as an extension originally of PyProc game. Then they kind of forked it off completely, and now it's a, a different animal. But th those are two software frameworks that people can download and use for free. So we make money on selling the boards. Software framework guys usually make money by offering their services to help companies, you know, add features or whatever to their machines. Okay. Got it. Well, that's good. I mean, you've got money coming in from PROC. You've got orders coming in for Multimorphic P3. Um, four to five weeks, people. If you're listening to the show and you're checking out information on it, four to five weeks if you order today. Um, question, let's see. I, I asked some listeners to write in some questions. Someone wrote something, and I just wanted to ask you if you felt responsible for this. But they said, now that Spooky has switched over from the Pinheck system that Ben Heck developed to the P -Ro P3 Rock system for, for Alice Cooper, for TNA, they wanted me to ask you if you felt responsible for Ben Heck leaving the pinball hobby. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the answer is no. Ben Heck makes his own choices. He's a grown-ass adult. Uh, but no, the Heck board's cool, actually. It just uh, I think they had some features in Alice Cooper that it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't powerful enough to use. So uh, they were struggling before uh, TPF, so they switched over and we got them running and we, we helped them get their demo going. And the, the, the P-Rock is interesting because it's not tied to a CPU and we did that on purpose. It's a USB controller that connects to any kind of CPU element. So, for example, in a traditional type of game, you can run a pretty low-powered CPU like a Raspberry Pi or uh, I think Spooky is now using a thing called an Upboard or, you know, a, a small Intel processor or something on a small motherboard. And whereas on the P3, we're using the exact same P3 rock control system, but we're driving it with a you know, a big computer motherboard with a high-end graphic card and all that stuff so that we can push crazy dynamic graphics on the screen. So 
More or less. I mean, I don't know what happened between Ben Heck and Charlie. I assume it was a friendly breakup and Ben just wanted to move on. I know he's didn't he stop doing his show too? So I think he just he just yeah. wanted to make a change or whatever. Um, he's taking a break, like a Canada break. You never Canada know. Break. Those I don't think anything's <laughs> like a Canada break. <laughs> it's it's like hours of therapy and alcohol. No, um, I, I joke. Um, yeah, I don't know. He's kind of been MIA. I've been trying to get Ben on the show to talk about what happened. I think, you know, if I were to just speculate, I think what happened was um, the success of TNA um, sort of allowed Charlie to push Alice Cooper back more to let them develop it with more, you know, over a longer period of time, which then I think pushed Ben's game out indefinitely. And I think that's when it was like, you know what, I'm not going to stick around not knowing when things are going to move on, on, on his title. So it happens, you know, look, I, I think Charlie's probably happy. TNAs are flying out the door. Um, so it is what it is. There's always reasons people walk. I don't, I don't, I don't pretend to be inside the man's head. So uh, let's see, Jerry, I got another question. Someone asked me if you could money aside, if you could put your dream theme on the P3 that you think would really show off its ultimate potential, what theme would it be? And you can't say Lexi Lightspeed, Ken and Lagoon or Cosmic Kart Racing. I can (laughs) say this now because we're not doing it. I wanted The Incredibles. I wanted, especially now that The Incredibles yeah, 2 just came out, it's, it's, I, I, wanted, I wanted The Incredibles. So three years ago, I started talking to people about how much it would cost to get something like that. And obviously, we just don't have the money to be able to afford something like that. But that's what I wanted, Incredibles. Before that, I wanted Firefly. And uh, oh, I don't even... Show. Yep. I don't even know if uh, Fox is willing to talk to people about licenses. Firefly, they're like, that show never happened. <laughs> I talked to them. I talked to them in 2012 actually about getting the show Firefly, and uh, we, I talked to their licensing people and talked about money. And we were a brand new startup, and obviously we didn't have much money, and they didn't want to put a license in the hands of someone who didn't have any experience. So that just didn't work out. But first Firefly, and then The Incredibles. If I had money, that's what I would have done. Okay. I got to ask you a question. Speaking of money, there has been a new pinball player that has appeared over the last year, and that is Deep Root Pinball, and Robert Mueller, and and Robert's, you know, he's he's been assembling a team, and he he sort of paints himself as someone who has been talking to a lot of people in the industry and exploring many different ways in which to bring pinball out and innovate and and change the game. Have have you ever been approached by Robert or talked to him about potentially? becoming an investor in your platform or making a game, you know, seeing if there's any um, synergies between your vision and his vision at all, because I think he's been talking to a lot of people. Sure. I think Robert's probably talked to everyone in the industry at this point. Um, he, he works and lives right down the street from us. We're in Austin, Texas. He's in San Antonio, Texas. So, of course, uh, we've talked. We've talked about money. We've talked about business. We've talked about visions. We uh, don't see eye to eye, I think, on a lot of things. Uh, we're very different people with different goals. Um, very specifically, and I don't want to get into a lot of details. He's doing his thing, and we're doing his, and we're doing our thing. But um, I'm an engineer. What I do, what I did in my life, was build products. I I like coming up with ideas and then implementing them. I like doing the low level implementation and you know making things work and testing them and fixing them. That's what I do. I tell people the truth about what we're doing. I tell people the truth about what our plans are. And that's just the kind of person I am. I'm big on saying what you mean, 
doing what you say and working your butt off to make your customers and your employees you know, respect you and you respect them and everyone kind of works together. Well, I'm not big on talk. I just want to, I just want to build a product. The flip side is he's coming into this industry with tons of money, right? He's spending money. He's paying for people. He's, who knows? They may be perfect. They, they may be, they may be super successful. They might bring in these super new ideas and create something amazing. Um, he's certainly spending the money to make it happen. But on the flip side, you're nothing until you ship a product. Right. And, and, and you can say whatever you want. You can tell people they suck and you're awesome. You can tell people that you're going to do something amazing. And frankly, a lot of the stuff that he's saying are things that we've done. This innovation, all these things, creating this system that's different, changing manufacturing, changing control systems, doing all these things. We've already done all that. We have patents to, to protect all that. So I'm actually curious to see what they're planning. I hope he's successful. I hope he grows the industry. I hope he brings a lot more people to the industry because then we can sell to them too. Right, right. On just a purely, this is just a basic question. Are you just, do you, are you bored by like just the same when you see Stern just releasing the same type of game over and over and over again? Am I bored? Uh, I'm not bored. I am excited that no one's stepping into our space yet because <laughs> uh, we're doing this new and different thing. And the longer it takes anybody else to innovate, the longer it takes anyone else to break into these, these new and cool features like ball tracking and modularity, um, the longer we have to... Uh, build our brand and create this uh, catalog of games. And um, I kind of enjoy the fact that nobody else is innovating. Right. And may maybe maybe I'm the stupid one. Maybe right. no one else is innovating because customers don't want innovations. Well, but, that, I was going to play devil's advocate and say, so you're stern and, and you're selling thousands of games a year, right? And they're pretty much making the same game over the last 30 years with just better artwork and better displays now. But for the most part... The game hasn't changed much, right? And do yep. you ever do you ever worry, Jerry, that that maybe the buyer just won't change either? That that pinball might be stuck like where it's at, and this is as this is this is all people need to get excited by pinball is like what Stern yeah. and Jersey Jack is putting out, and maybe you leaped too far. Yeah, yes, that's certainly a risk. Although at least right now, like. I said earlier, we're still backordered. We're still not able to fill all the orders that we're getting. And we have plans for leveraging distributors and growing. So uh, I don't think that we've developed a product that won't be super successful. Every time we bring out a new game, every time we bring out a new feature, we're creating more interest in the product and, and we can't build them fast enough yet. That said, I mean... Looking, looking at the other side of the street, the grass is greener. It'd be nice if we saw this community of people, if we saw a thousand people that are like, you know what, if you had a machine out there today that we'd buy it, we'd buy it right now. Yeah, it's always nice to look at that. But the reality is we're doing what we like. We're creating a product we enjoy. We've got people that are passionate about it and we're growing into that market. People are learning about it. People are understanding it. People are buying it. And I say this all the time, um, while someday maybe we'd like to be as big as Stern. I mean, people say they, some people say they don't want to be as big as Stern. And I don't know if that's just them trying to, 
to talk themselves down or, or, or explain why they're not growing super fast. Uh, but th- th- there's, there's valid reasons to build a lifestyle company and just, you know, build enough for, um, to keep you happy and to sustain a small community of, of people. But, um, while someday we might want to grow and be that big, we, we can't just, you know, wake up tomorrow and if we had a million dollars, go spend it on, 10xing our manufacturing capabilities you have to manage your growth you have to start small you have to build a product you can work out the bugs you can ship products to customers you know what if we sold if we sold a hundred machines a month 1200 machines a year and we had a manufacturing issue because we haven't had enough time to sort out everything then we have to fix 1200 machines if we're selling one machine a month, we only have to fix 12 machines. And of course, those are both extremes for us right now. We're somewhere in the middle of that. But um, you have to manage your growth. We have to. I am growing as a, man, a manager of a company. We're learning how to interact with our manufacturing people. We're learning how to support customers. And it's a process. And we have to learn to do that. And we have to manage our ability to grow into that. So yeah, it'd be nice to sell a thousand machines a month or whatever Stern's selling these days, but um, we just want to enjoy what we're doing and, and and grow in a way that we can sustain ourselves. Right. Have you, have you sort of looked at Spooky and the, and the way they've grown gradually as sort of inspiration for where you want to see your company go? Yeah, I, I have a lot of respect for Charlie. He's done this a similar way to how we have. He he essentially bootstrapped his company and he started out very small. I think they sold about 150 America's Most Haunteds and have grown their production line every game since, or at least their big title since then. Yeah, I mean, I'd, lo- I'd love to follow in his footsteps. I'd love to sell you know, 100, 150 games or get 150 games out the door our first year and grow to 250 or 300 the second year and 500 the third year, that, that'd be fantastic. That's maintainable, manageable growth. And that's the only way to be successful long-term unless somebody drops $2 million on your door. Right, right. Jerry, you, you've seen the plethora of pinball manufacturers. Some of them have been all, nothing but words. Some of them have had a few games get out there, then collapse. Knowing the market and knowing there's only a finite amount of people in America and in the world who you know who will buy a pinball machine, do you think there's too many companies now? I mean, there's a lot more now than when you started, or do you think the the market will sort of have winners and losers, and it'll 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 be less people a year or two from now, but only those who know how to manufacture will survive? What's your take on 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 where the hobby's at with the amount of people that are trying to sell games these days so there are a lot of a lot of players in the industry right now yes and not all of them will survive and we've already seen a couple of them kind of to give it up um i see this industry it's it's not going to disappear i mean there's going to be a market for pinball machines all the time there's there's new technology that's coming out people are starting to put more exciting things on their machines the market's going to exist. In fact, the market's still growing right now. It's been growing the last four or five or maybe even six or seven years. Um, I think it hit a it hit a lull in the 2009-2010 area, and then Jersey Jack started. And we've kind of been growing since then as an industry. I personally don't think traditional pinball can sustain five or six manufacturers. But I think that's great for them because they're all traditional pinball companies, and we're different. We're creating this thing we don't want to sell five P3s to a customer. 
Stern Stern needs to sell five five of their pinball machines to everyone, or they want to. They want to sell as many as they can to every person. We want to sell one P3 to everyone. We want to come up with this platform that is cool enough, that has a big enough library that everyone everyone likes it enough to buy it. But we don't need to sell more than one to them because it's a platform machine. People don't own two Nintendos or two Playstations. A lot of people buy one of every variation of a gaming console but people don't usually buy two of each one and and that's where we want to be so i think even if the market shrinks a little bit as long as we create a platform that interests people enough if if we create a platform that interests every single person if we come out with three games that interest you and three completely different games that interest somebody else and they all run on the p3 you'll both buy a p3 right so jerry how far away are we from from a networked p3 platform we're there. Uh, we just haven't shipped the games yet. So we have Heads Up, which is the game we showed off at TPF 2017, um, which is an online networkable game. Two P3s can talk to each other. We showed off Cosmic Kart Racing this year at TPF. It's our newest game. It's not shipping yet. It's in production. We've starting to get parts in so we can build them. Cosmic Kart Racing is a game just like any video game kart racing game it's networkable so you can get online you can play against three of your buddies each with your own p3s or there can be some computer carts in there if you don't have uh, four people that are all playing at the same time but but we're sitting here developing the network engines for those now so as soon as we ship ccr i don't know if the network capabilities will be on day one but we're developing them now so um, the idea is you'll get a P3. You can log on to your Cosmic Kart Racing game. It'll connect to the server and say, "Hey, I wanna, I wanna play with whoever out there. Is anyone, is, is anyone out there? Do you wanna play?" And it'll connect machines together, and that's it. We're right. there. Are you ever surprised at how far behind the pinball hobby is with regards to technology like connectivity and internet, and you know, it, 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 it. it still is very archaic the way we're, we're sticking USB sticks into games to update them when why can't it just be like Wi-Fi connected and update you know it's like the things are we're still living decades in the past with a lot of the well, games so you as a consumer of pinball you want cool stuff you want your life to be easier you want cool features um but now, if you're going to keep buying games that don't have those features, then there's no reason for manufacturers to create them. Right. There's no reason for somebody to go spend you know, a few hundred thousand dollars to put a team together to, to go develop features that are going to create zero more sales. It's return on investment. There's no point. The only reason a company is going to create those features is because they want to enter the market. They want to create something and carve out a niche that they can sell into, and that's what we're doing. Um, so now that we're doing it, here's the interesting thing about this, this industry. Back to your other question. Uh, we've got five or six players in this industry now. And as you mentioned, well, we both kind of discussed, we don't think necessarily that the industry can maintain all these, all these manufacturers. So at some point, there will either be someone who just wins, you know, Stern's big enough. They can maybe survive long enough to, to uh, watch all these companies start drifting away. Or... If companies start consolidating, 
and taking these ideas from each other and combining them into a platform. Let's let's say let's say company A sells you know two thousand machines a year and company B sells three thousand machines a year. If they combine, they're selling five thousand machines a year, and that's that's a lot more to a single company's bottom line than if you split it up. So the fact that we have this technology, we have this multi-game platform, we have these high-tech features, ball tracking and network gaming capabilities, and um, profile systems and all this stuff that's kind of new technology for pinball. Um, if somebody wants to, dif- if a big player wants to differentiate themselves, they don't have to develop it. We have it. They can just buy the technology or, or, or work with us to make it happen. Right. Um, couple more questions, Jerry, because yeah. next new games coming out for you guys, like what, what, anything in development that you're super excited about that, uh, yes. there's a tentative release date that is going to be, is it going to be expo TPF? Like what? Uh, no. What, 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 oh, <laughs> yes, than that. There's a lot in development, but 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 the ultimate but uh, we are past the point of pre-announcing games. We don't need to do it anymore. We are a couple of months away from shipping Cosmic Kart Racing, and we're not just going to ship a game and then start a new project. So I mean, obviously, we've been working on projects throughout the process. We have uh, a few mini games in development. We still, but that we still haven't shipped uh, Heads Up or or uh, Wizard or Grand Slam Rally yet. So we've got to get those out the door in a few months. Um, we've got to get Cosmic Kart Racing out. And we already have people working on new mini games. We have third-party developers who are using our dev kit. I, I got an email. Jeez, it was out of the blue. It was about three or four months ago from a person I'd never met before. And he emailed me and he said, Hey, I think your pinball machine is really cool. I'm a game developer. I want to make a game for it. I'm like, that's awesome, but that's weird because he doesn't have a machine and he doesn't know the market. He's he just saw a cool platform and he I, I emailed him an early version of the dev kit and literally he emailed me last week. He said, Hey, my game's ready for beta. How do I get it out to people? Right. Like that's super cool. That just complete we didn't have to support him, we didn't have to tell him how to use the dev kit. He figured everything out on his own. He built his entire game and he's ready to test it. And that's awesome. We have three three games in development from people close to the team, three mini games, and we've started on the next game that comes after CCR as well. Um, but no, I'm not going to go and announce dates or timelines or anything else because we just want to work on games and get them out when they're ready. There, there's no six days of Multimorphic coming at TPF, so I can't report that. Okay. I mean, hopefully there's a few thousand days of Multimorphic, <laughs> but we'll see. Well, well, Jerry, I really appreciate you coming on. I mean, the hour goes fast. It's been an hour we've been chatting. Um, any any final words you want to say to the? If I still have some listeners left, they'll hear it <laughs> next week when I when I revive the show. But any any final words? Yeah. So, multimorphic.com is our website. Check out what we're selling now. We are trying to revolutionize. Well, we're not trying to revolutionize the industry. We're trying to bring revolutionary products to the industry. We're trying to bring new ideas. We're trying to give people more value for their money. Um, we have shipped machines. We're shipping machines. We're finishing up the the pre-orders. And what I want you to know about me is that I live my life in the minds of customers, in the lines of in the lives of my employees, and I don't feel right unless they're getting what they deserve. If somebody gives us money, they spend money, they buy a $10,000 pinball machine, then I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure they get what they deserve. They get the value they 
deserve. They get the machine they deserve. They get a functional machine. They, we can resolve any problems that they have. And that's just the type of person I am, and that's the type of business I want to create. So if you, if you invest in our machines, if you um, want to participate in development, of games, if you want to be a part of this, this called an evolution of pinball that we're trying to, to push forward, then uh, we'll do it together. We'll be passionate about what we're doing, and we'll make it happen. I think that's very well said, Jerry. Well, Jerry, thank you for coming on. Again, I apologize for the delay. Um, I'm happy to hear that orders are coming in. Um, it's exciting to see that it's sold out on the website. So um, for those of you, four to five weeks, as as we said, if you're looking uh, to get into P3 Multimorphic, and I would encourage people to, um, there's a lot of good videos online uh, of the platform in use that you can check out. Check out like stuff like Lexi Lightspeed, um, P3 Multimorphic. Uh, and if you're at a show, I think ultimately, though, the most fun I've had, I never really have fun, to be honest, watching pinball videos. It is going and playing the machine at shows. Uh, yeah. I think that is where you really will get what the platform is about. So, Yeah, and the P3, it's it's proved itself over and over again that it's a machine that you have to play, you have to touch it, you have to feel it, you have to understand the fact. It looks like virtual pinball sometimes. It's not. It's physical pinball. It's a real ball rolling around a a play field hitting physical things and interacting with virtual things at the same time. But it's this product that a lot of people look at videos and they think it's not something that will relate to them. And then they go play it and they're like, holy crap, this is cool. Right. Well, Jerry, thank you so much. Have a great 4th of July. This is going to probably yeah, air just a little bit after because I think my revival show is, is that day. So this will this will be up um, probably that Thursday, Friday. But thank you again for coming on. And, and I hope to talk to you soon and see you at a show in, in the near future. Yeah, thanks, Chris. I, uh, I always appreciate it. It's always fun chatting. And uh, best luck to you and your show, too. Thank you. Thank you.